Hey, Golf Science Lab community, it's Cordy here. No, we're not launching our next season yet. Don't worry, it's just around the corner. But we're back with a very, very exciting announcement. We've just launched our first podcast powered by the Golf Science Lab. It's called Game Like Training Radio, and it's hosted by Coach Matthew Cook and myself. We're having conversations focused on practice and learning with some incredible guests, like this show with Trevor Reagan of Train Ugly. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes, Game Like Training Radio, and check back on a weekly basis as we'll have new episodes from this first season. All right, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, where we'll help you set up practice and learning environments to actually help you play your best game on the course and not on the range. Hey, I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. And we're here today with Trevor Reagan from trainugly.com. Super excited to share this interview with you all. We talk with Trevor about his experiences with other coaches and other sports and his work with Carol Dweck on the growth mindset. And we also discuss some motor learning principles and Trevor does an incredible job of explaining all of this through his analogy of the jungle tiger. Yeah, no, I, I really like his his perspective, Matt, because he brings this setting of other sports, other coaches and the academics and, and sets up a framework that we can understand. Toward the end of this conversation, he talks about really these four steps to teach new skills and applying this to golf during training is really going to set up some amazing, amazing results. Before we get into it, we put together four videos to help you create better game-like training practice environments in your practice, from full swing to short game to putting. You have to make sure that you're spending your time wisely and making practice effective. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash better training and check it out. So let's get into it with Trevor. All right. So we are super excited to be here with Mr. Trevor Reagan of Train Ugly. And we're just going to dive into this learning conversation and maybe a good place to start, Trevor, is with the foundational element, which is like this growth mindset, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, if you want to learn, if you want to train ugly, you have to have a, the right mindset going into us. So like, where do you start with that conversation or where does that topic start for you? Well, first of all, what you said is like right on the money. When I got into this, it started with like very like motor learning focus. And I, I think that motor learning science is fascinating. I think there are a ton of applications and a ton of ways to use it to improve practice. But what I found, especially when we're working with athletes in volleyball and basketball, is that to really get the most out of a science-based practice. And so if we base a practice according to the motor learning science, uh, it does get ugly. It is harder. There's like more contextual interference. There's a little more randomness. There's a little more chaos. And what happens when you're in that zone is you make more mistakes. And so it does get uglier. And from what I found, uh, coupling that science with the growth mindset research, that is where we see the best results because essentially the growth mindset stuff is talking about like mental approach to learning and development and it helps you see the value of mistakes and it helps you see the value of struggle and it shows you how that those things actually help you grow more than if those things were not there and so what we've seen is people who understand growth mindset and understand this mental approach to learning actually get more out of a practice that's designed according to the principles of motor learning so train ugly is the marriage of those two 
I guess, areas of research. So growth mindset is the mental side of learning. And then motor learning is like what learning looks like and how we can design our practice according to the science. And so if we were to jump into growth mindset, there are two things that really, really, I think, matter the most there. And the first is like the core of it all is simply a belief in your ability to learn. Uh, this could be learning a new project, a new skill, a new swing, but it's simply the belief in your ability to eventually learn and figure something out. And then to build one step on top of that, and I think this is equally as important, is sort of like what you value. Um, so the Dweck's research shows that people with growth mindset, they value learning and getting better more than they value how they look. I guess the opposite of a growth mindset is a fixed mindset. And these people do not believe in their ability to learn and get better. And their number one concern is how they look to others. And so going back to a growth mindset, it's those two concepts that really make up a true growth mindset. It is, I believe I can learn and learning and getting better is more important than how I look. And with that attitude, obviously there's more, there's like that takes work. And that's like a daily battle that you fight to get to that zone where you uh, have those two like beliefs and values. But when you're there, you get more from your practice because you see the value of like a difficult game-like practice. That's a great way to put it, Trev. I've seen and, and read and watched a bunch of your, uh, your content where you talk about the, the jungle tiger and the non-jungle tiger and i think that is just an incredible analogy you know especially for what you just for what you just talked about with the growth mindset i think you know obviously i've listened to it i've watched some of your presentations online but i think it would be great if you could just go over that that analogy for the the listeners for this it would be awesome for them to you just made you made me do like a virtual fist bump right there because the jungle tiger stuff i think is the best way teach this and for me it's the best way to understand how this works and it also plays into the growth mindset stuff as well so like the quick jungle tiger exercise with the jungle tiger story is simply a comparison of two tigers one tiger that lives in a zoo one tiger that lives in the wild or in the jungle and if you look and compare their lives it's like it's pretty much black and white like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum the zoo tiger's life is very easy and it's very safe because it lives in a cage and everything is done for it. It always has food, it always has water, it always has protection and it sits in a cage all day. Life is easy, life is safe. And then if you compare that to the life of a jungle tiger, we're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where uh, the jungle tiger is not necessarily like safe all the time and his life isn't that easy because he has to do everything for himself. He has to learn to hunt, to protect himself, to build shelter, like to do all the things a jungle tiger would have to do. His life involves a considerable amount more struggle and mistakes and errors and failures. Like it's gonna be hungry nights and hungry days if he doesn't find food. Um, and then sort of the punchline of this is, what would happen if you put a zoo tiger into the wild? Well, yeah, it wouldn't do, wouldn't do very well, would it? He'd find it difficult to survive. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be alive for long. The zoo tiger's going to be out in the wild and really not know how to survive. The reason it doesn't know how to survive is because it spent its entire life in its cage. 
or everything was easy and safe, but it didn't really have to develop skills. So if we put a zoo tiger in the wild, it's just not going to handle it. It's not going to survive. Now, if we look at the jungle tiger, the jungle, jungle tiger figures out how to survive in the wild. It figures it out by living there. The jungle tiger learns to survive in the wild by living in the wild. And now a couple key points I want to point out. They're both tigers and they both have the same tools. They both have stripes. They can both jump really high. They both have sharp teeth. The only difference was sort of the way that they grew up and developed. And that difference allowed the jungle tiger to do something that the, the zoo tiger could never do. And this jungle tiger approach, the hard approach, the not safe approach, the approach that was filled with struggle and mistakes allowed that tiger to develop skills that the zoo tiger never could. The easy approach and the safe approach did not. And so if we were to take this to the sports world, literally any sport, basketball, soccer, volleyball, golf, what we need to understand is the game, when we compete, when the lights are on, when the scoreboard is on, when we're playing, that is the wild. Games are random. Games are chaotic. No two games you ever play, no two matches you ever play are ever going to be the same. Games are the wild. Now, the problem that I see, one of the biggest problems I see is we train players and we design our practices like the zoo. Our practices look good. They are easy, but people are not getting better. And so what happens is we train a bunch of zoo tigers and then we throw them into the wild when it's game time and then they struggle and we don't see that transfer. And so like to take this one step farther, it's, it's kind of looking at the zoo and looking at the cage in the zoo. Like that is a metaphor for our comfort zone. And we all have comfort zones. You do, I do, the players you work with do as well. And the truth is when you're operating in your comfort zone, whatever it may be, you look good, uh, it's easy, it is safe, but you're not necessarily getting better. Our comfort zone is just like a cage in the zoo. And so my job and the reason that Train Ugly exists and the reason that I talk so much about this is to help people understand that the best learning happens when you find a way to stretch outside of your comfort zone, when you find ways to escape the zoo and get into the wild. And so I think the big hurdle that we face with all of this is I've probably given the jungle tiger talk to over 10,000 people at this point, ranging from like four-year-olds all the way up to professional athletes. And out of the 10,000 people, every single one of them will agree that the jungle tiger approach leads to more learning and prepares that tiger to survive in the wild. The hurdle we face is most of us when it comes to development and when it comes to learning, we approach those things like a zoo tiger, where we would rather play it safe, we would rather look good, we would rather be in our comfort zone than try something new, than take a risk, than stretch out and get into the wild. What I've found is the big reason behind that is we hate to look bad. We hate the ugly, we hate uh, feeling like maybe we're out of our comfort zone. And so what we do is help people understand the value of getting into the wild, and then that is where growth mindset comes in. So I think, sum it up, it's Jungle Tiger, Zoo Tiger talks about how learning, how learning works. And then the growth mindset is sort of the helmet that you wear to survive in the wild. So we're saying you learn best when you're stretched. You learn best when it's ugly. You learn best in the wild. 
And the growth mindset is your armor that you wear in the wild that helps you deal with that struggle and tension of what real learning involves. Because real learning, as you guys know, you've been looking into this as well. Real learning involves some tension and struggle. You have to be bad at something before you're good. And so what we're trying to do, like literally the, the, the reason that we named the website what we named it is trying to change the perception of what ugly is. People hate ugly, people resist ugly, but ugly is where the magic happens. And so we found that the Jungle Tiger story is a great way to start that conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I love this conversation about desirable difficulties and challenge points. It's one of my, my favorite conversations and like how you have to fall down to get better. And like on top of that, with a growth mindset, like I guess in a practical sense, like how do you approach failure, right? Like when you fail in front of people and you feel horrible and it's ugly, mm-hmm. how does someone approach that? Or like practically, like how do you get back up and go do it again? Yeah. And so like, I mean, that's the tough part because it's easy to talk about these things and it's easy to say, look, uh, getting better needs to be more important than how you look and all these things. Um, what I found is just having lots and lots of conversation about the value of the, of the failure and the struggle. Um, a great book that I'd highly recommend is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Absolutely incredible. I'm about halfway through it and it just talks about how the most successful people, regardless of the industry they're in, some are in sports and some are in just anything, the most successful people have been through a lot of obstacles and struggle in their life. And what they realize and what you, you realize if you look into their stories is people learn more from obstacles and struggle than if those things were not there. So what we need to do is start to change our perception about what a mistake and what a, a, like a stumble is it's like a valuable it's a valuable opportunity to grow that's it it's not uh we shouldn't feel judged we shouldn't feel embarrassed it should be kind of celebrated where it's like a special learning opportunity that you get um again that takes a lot of work and that takes a lot of conversation but if we can get there like that's when this becomes powerful yeah, I couldn't have worded it any better, Trev. The whole failing and, and getting back up and trying to do it again and changing the perception of how failing's viewed is increasingly important. I know you've spent a lot of time with the likes of John over at the the Olympic Association and, and his, his good buddy, Peter Vint, and I know you've spent some time with many professors and motor learning and cognitive psychology and and all of that and I know you've also spent some time with some really really good coaches so I'd love to know like what the sort of conclusion is from from all of these people all of these amazing people that you've managed to spend time with and just hang out with how do they view this this um failing and an ugliness of training and and get and training more game-like to get better? How do, how do they view it with their teaching? Yeah. And I, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think there are a couple of important things. First of all, they realize this, that practice is there to help us learn, get better, that it doesn't really matter what we look like in practice. What matters is what happens when the lights are on and it matters. And so, the big, I think, one of the like, core principles of motor learning is transfer. It's finding ways to essentially 
transfer the improvements we see in practice to the game. Another way to look at it is, if I get better in practice, does it show up on Friday night? And the way I see it is we should be finding ways to maximize that transfer because what matters is like our performance in the game. And so what they found is to maximize transfer, so when we see improvements in practice, they show up in the game, to maximize that, what we need to do is make our practice resemble the game as much as possible. And this takes us back to Jungle Tiger for one more second. The Jungle Tiger learned to survive in the wild by living in the wild, period. It lived in the wild, struggled, it figured it out, and it developed an incredible skill set. Practice is the same. We said at the start, our games are the wild. How do we get our practice to resemble the wild? And from what I've seen, the coaches that have really bought into this and who are really running with this understand that. They are thinking about and having conversations all the time about how can we introduce more variables into our practice that will make it more like the game, period. And so if you think about like the emotion that's there in a game, the pressure that's there in a game, uh, the randomness and, and chaos in a game, how do you introduce those things into practice? And those are the conversations they're having. Now, hard part of that is coaches and players, we all do. We all like it when things look good. And so what happens is if we start to introduce all these game variables into practice, it doesn't necessarily look the best. Like there's a lot more mistakes, a lot more kind of chaos happening. It doesn't look the best. And if like a parent walked through the gym, they would be going, wow, what is going on here? Um, but again, that goes back to like, what's important? Are we practicing to look good or are we practicing to get better? Because those are two very different things. And it's really hard for both of those things to happen at the same time. And so the best coaches I've seen, they understand that the reason we practice is to get better. And if the reason we practice is to get better, it needs to be ugly. If we're just trying to look good, by all means, we can do block practice. We can do these traditional drills and, and, and things that people do that look good, that are organized. But the truth is, they're not stretching people, they're not challenging people, and therefore people aren't getting better. Hey, if you're enjoying this, you might want to check out the Motor Learning Masterclass that we put together here at Golf Science Lab. It's 15 sessions with the leading golf coaches talking all about learning. Matt Cook, co-host here of Game Like Training Radio, was actually one of the presenters and talked all about deliberate practice. The one thing we can't get around is that if we're going to reach a higher level of performance, or if we're going to get better at any skill, we have to practice. Check it out at motorlearninglab.com. And let's get back into it. Here's kind of a, a tough question, right? So the beginner, right? In level of skill. So everyone's different. Everyone needs a different level of challenge. How does this mm -hmm. apply to a beginner? Because I think it's easy to apply this to someone that's an expert, sure. but it might be a bit more difficult to do someone just getting into golf, for instance. Like, how do we apply this? Yep. Okay. So I love that question. And this is like, that's where you get the biggest pushback. A couple of things I want to point out. In the motor learning studies, the majority of them are based around teaching people a new skill. Now, these could be adults, they could be college students, but they're learning something that they've never done before. Therefore, these results 
apply to people, to young athletes who are learning a new skill. Because like in the studies where they compare block and random practice, like they're teaching them something new. It's not like they're just getting like drilling something that they already know. So it's usually a new task that they're working on. Second, these results, I think, apply to any age group. And so what we need to understand is when we are teaching a new skill, it is okay to involve a bit of block practice. And block practice is like the repetitive stuff that you see, the traditional stuff you see where you do the same thing over and over. We've been lucky enough to work with a ton of kids that are a ton of different ages. And the majority of those kids in the basketball world, we spend a lot of time teaching them new things that they've never done. And sort of the format that we've found that works the best is a simple progression. And the progression goes, watch keys, block practice, random practice. So let's like take them through that. If we're going to teach a kid uh, how to swing a golf club or teach a kid a new shot in basketball, what we like to do is show them video of what it looks like. You can go anywhere on YouTube and find someone who has the mechanics that you're trying to teach of whatever skill you're trying to teach. And we spend some time letting the kids watch that. Two important things happen when they watch. Number one, they see what we're going for. Number two, we have a very, very important conversation where we ask them, why do you think it would be important to learn this skill? Now, that seems like maybe a simple question, but that is huge because what we're doing is starting to give them a little bit of ignition. And this is something that Daniel Coyle talks about where it's like they now see the value of this. And so if we're teaching a kid maybe to shoot a floater in basketball, which is just maybe a new shot, and we show them a couple of minutes of video of people shooting it, we ask them, why would it be good to know the shot? They say, wow, it looks like it's really easy to get that shot off in traffic and it helps you uh, get that shot off against taller defenders. And they start to talk about and see the value. And what this is doing is building engagement and giving them sort of purpose or a why of why do I even want to learn this? And we found that just that simple question and that short conversation about the purpose of this increases the amount of learning big time because now they have a reason for it. So when we watch, we're doing a couple of things. We're showing them what it looks like we're having a conversation about why it's important. After we watch, we work with the kids and create skill keys, which are like the two to three most important parts of that technique. Uh, whatever technique you're teaching, there should be a few simple skill keys that uh, come up. And so we usually develop those keys with the players. After that, we let them get some reps in like a more of a block practice type atmosphere. Now that the trick here and the key here is we only spend about three to five minutes on this. What we do is we'll spread them out in their head. They know what they're going for. They know what the skill keys are. And now we're going to give them a ton of reps doing that. No defense with no chaos, no anything. While they're doing this, we walk around with an iPad. We have a ton of iPads in the gym. Uh, and we give them visual feedback on this where we ask them, do you look like the video that we showed you? What is different? What can we work on? Are you doing the keys? And we're giving them five minutes. And in five minutes, you could get a ton of reps trying this new thing. And the, the purpose of this step, this block step is how does this feel? So the purpose of watching was what does it look like? 
the purpose of the keys is what's important. And then the purpose of the block practice is how does it feel? Now, after three to five minutes, they're going to have a pretty good idea of like what it feels like. And obviously some may progress faster than others. Uh, that's the art side of this, where we need to work with the ones that are struggling with it and give them more feedback, more visual feedback or reps. But as soon as they know what it feels like and what it looks like, now it's time to, to enter into a more random zone. That doesn't mean we just roll the ball out and play now. That means we can come up with ways to randomize this drill or this practice. No. Essentially what we're doing there is adding some game elements into the equation. Um, and that simple progression, we found incredible results in teaching people new things rather quickly. And so we'll take people through that. And what we see is by the end of that session, they're using the new shot, they're doing the new shot, and they're doing it in a game. And once they know, and once they can show you what it looks like in a not in a like a non crazy, random environment, they're ready to go random. And random in golf and random in basketball, again, simply means just don't do the same thing twice in a row. It doesn't mean we're just playing five on five. Now it means if we're working on shooting, we're shooting from different sh spots, shooting different shots. We're, we're just switching things up. We're adding some defense. And the same is true for you guys. So maybe we develop our short game. Again, I don't know golf lingo, but uh, maybe we're working on a new chip shot or whatever. And we give them those block reps. And then after that, it's time to go random where it's like, hey, we're going to play uh, on the range or on a short, short hole where we're 90 yards out where we're going to all play with like four balls. And essentially what happens is with these four balls, we're going to hit, hit them up close to the green and then they're going to get four reps chipping around the green or whatever it may be. So they're like doing different things. It's starting to be more game-like and that's where the real development is going to happen. That's uh, an awesome way to progress, I think, watching and then the keys block and then random. It's very similar to... Um what a friend of yours, actually, uh, Tim Lee, I'm sure you've spoke to him a bunch of times. Uh, that's something that he recommended, you know, short block could be good for the short space of time and then to move into random. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think that's some great information for us in golf there. The one thing that I would really encourage people to think about is that conversation of why would it be important to do this? It's like, it doesn't seem like a big part of that progression, but it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Because I think when you're more invested and you see the value of developing this, whatever it is, you're going to be more engaged in that during that progression. You'll get more out of it. Quick question, Trevor. On the random part, like, do you like to end that with like competition in some way or just is strictly just like random type, some type of game like practice good? Or do you like to have that pressure of a score as well? Then I always like to add the pressure of the score. And this is sort of a tightrope that you walk because if, like sometimes when there's a score, people start to play it safe. And so what I firmly believe is this. I believe in creating the atmosphere and practice that is as much like a game as possible. Therefore, there is a score and there is a competitive element. And then the conversations we have with the, the kids is helping them understand that even though there's a score attached to this, even though the, there's a winner and a loser, we are still here to get better. 
and we are still here to to grow. And so any mistakes that are made or any losses or defeats or whatever, like those are okay. And what I tell kids is this, never let the number on the scoreboard rob you of an opportunity to grow. Uh, we talk about like the reps that you get in a game like practice are so valuable. Do not miss out on those. And what you see, and I'm sure you guys see the same in golf, is maybe a player gets down by a few strokes and there's really no chance that they're going to catch up, right? Like they're just not going to win. And a lot of people in that situation would sort of check out and kind of go through the motions for the next four or five holes because, hey, I have no chance. I can't win. Just like a basketball team that's down by 20 or 30 points. Like they're not going to win that game. But the conversation that I would encourage coaches to have there is, look, we're playing this or like the reason we're doing this is, again, we're always focused on learning and getting better. And the truth of the matter is, regardless of what the scoreboard says, you still have a lot of reps on the table to get. Why not focus on getting better and why not embrace those reps? And you're probably not going to win. We're probably not going to catch up. You're probably not going to catch the leader. But the truth of the matter is, let's embrace this opportunity to go. Let's get the most out of this. Let's find a way to, to treat this as an opportunity. And what you find there is, number one, they'll start to get over like the fact that they're losing. And they start to see that the real important part of competing and playing isn't like necessarily winning and losing. It's just like seeing it as another opportunity to grow, especially like in golf and basketball and any sport, like if we're telling people that the best type of reps are game like reps, well, when you're actually playing, those are the best reps. So the games are kind of where the most learning happens because those are exactly like the game because it is the game. So you're in the wild, enjoy it, regardless of what the scoreboard says, enjoy this and embrace this and, and take advantage of take advantage of all of those learning opportunities that the, the game or competition presents. And so the reason that I add score and add like the competitive element in almost everything we do is getting players accustomed to letting it rip even when they feel like it matters. So I think that's a big part of this. It's like, can you have a growth mindset and can you take this mental approach when there's a winner and a loser, and there is a score on the line because that's where the real value is. So my theory with that is that is a skill. Therefore, the more reps that get doing that, the better they will get at that. I feel like we could talk all day on this uh, this framework, this four-step framework that you have, but this has been killer, man. We've got the growth mindset. We've got the, the jungle tiger analogy, uh, and we've got this, uh, this four-step framework to, to teach new skills. Absolutely amazing. Where can people go to check out more? I know that you have uh, you have some good videos diving into some more of the stuff. Like, what would be sure. the best piece of content that you have out there that people should check out after listening to this? Uh, if they want more motor learning stuff, there's a video on the Train Ugly website about block and random practice, and it might be one of my most favorite videos we've made because it shows why random practice is better, and it goes into some some data. It shows some applications, and I think it does a good job of really painting the picture from that standpoint. Um, if they're interested in the, the mindset side of things, there's a ton of content there. Um, I think the video I would recommend, it's called Shift Happens, 
And it's sort of talking about why we worry so much about how we look and then how to get over that. And so I think those would be two videos that I would suggest. Hey, Trev, what is, uh, what's, what's some of your social media as well? Like what's your Twitter? Where, where can people follow you on Twitter and follow you on Facebook and things like that? Uh, yeah, everything is just train ugly. So we're on everything you could be. We're on Blab, Instagram, Twitter. It's all just train ugly. Awesome. Um, Killer. Thanks, Trevor, man. This has been fantastic, dude. Such good info. Hey, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about. So anytime you guys want to get together, I am in. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to check out what Trevor is doing at trainugly.com. And you know, it'd be awesome if you said thank you to him on Twitter. Just a quick shout out. Say thanks for joining us and sharing this information for all of us. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes and head over to golfsciencelab.com slash better training so you can see those four videos that we put together on more effective practice and we'll keep you up to date on new episodes that come out. This has been Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, and we'll see you next time.